Next, this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. ReachMD is taking an in-depth look at how medicine is working toward health and longevity for people around the world. Join us all this month for the latest medical research and treatment across borders. As Australia continues the debate on new ways of delivering health care, the changing needs of patients and health workforce shortages continue to increase. The University of Queensland and James Cook University are addressing these issues by piloting and advocating a physician assistant type role as one of the solutions. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and with me today is Al Ford, physician assistant and senior lecturer at James Cook University School of Medicine, Queensland, Australia. Today we're discussing physician assistants in Australia. Hi, Al. Welcome to ReachMD. Hey, good day, Lisa. <laughs> good how day. You going? Fine. Tell us how you became involved with the exploration of the PA concept in Australia. Uh, I visited some wonderful friends of mine, Bill and Lisa Cruzy in Brisbane, Christmas week of 1999. I fell in love with Australia that week and promised myself that if I ever had the opportunity to live here someday, I would take it. From there, it was really a matter of being in the right place and meeting the right people at just the right moment and having really superb and encouraging mentors and friends. I had been the clinical coordinator at the University of Utah PA program since 1999, and it was through my director and friend, Don Peterson, that I became involved with the Physician Assistant Education Association, and that's where I met Ruth Balwig and Rod Hooker, and both of them have been very influential in moving the concept forward here in Australia over the past eight to ten years. Ruth invited me to be a facilitator for the PAEA Faculty Development Institute Clinical Coordinators Workshops. And while we were putting on a workshop at the 2006 AAPA meeting in San Francisco, Rod came by with three Australian medical academics. Uh, The rest, as they say, is history. So give us an overview of Australia and how their healthcare system works. Before I get into the structure of healthcare, just a few facts about Australia for people that may not be that familiar. It's huge. It has a population of about 22 million people living in an area roughly the size of the United States, slightly smaller. Um, the majority of Australians live in the southeast coastal and capital city regions. Uh, there are vast areas of what's termed outback or the bush with very low population density, minimal infrastructure, and poor access to health care. So how do they all access care? A lot of flying uh, that goes on, Royal Flying Doctor Service. If people need to be evacuated, that's the main way to go. Australia has a two-tiered health system. It's characterized by a mixture of public and private health services and providers. A universal health care coverage scheme called Medicare was instituted in 1984, and all taxpayers must contribute a 1.5% tax levy for that system. People making over a certain income threshold pay an additional 1%. And in 2008, approximately 9.8% of the GDP was spent on health care here, so considerably less than the U.S. Despite funding most of the health care costs, uh, the Commonwealth government's control over the system is limited. So the Commonwealth actually funds most of health care, but they have very little control over what goes on in the states. Um, The Commonwealth government strongly promotes, though, supplemental private health insurance for those that can afford to buy it. The private health care insurance covers inpatient services, and they make it pretty painful if you don't do it. 
On the other hand, uh, they'll provide you a subsidy equal to 30% of the premiums if you do buy private health insurance. So it's a bit of the carrot and stick thing. Let's talk about how the PA concept even made its way to Australia. The way that I understand it is uh, 1999 that Ian Ronsky, who's the pro-vice chancellor of our faculty here of health science, medicine, and molecular sciences, which would be equivalent to like a vice president at a university in the state, he attended the AAPA meeting in New Orleans and met a bunch of medical educators and leaders, sort of brought the concept back. Up here in Queensland, that's really how it got started. What are some of the major differences in the U.S. healthcare system versus the Australian healthcare system? The big one, of course, Lisa, is that all Australians and even permanent residents like me and my family have the legal right to health care services. So everyone's covered under the Medicare system, but not everyone has the same access capabilities or quality of care. And those are two of the, the issues that have got a great deal to do with why the PA concept has sparked a fair amount of interest here. The provincial nature of public health run by the states and territories is very different. Also, the way doctors are trained has historically been based on the British model. So that's a six-year MBBS program, as it's called. It's a bachelor's program, although half of the 22 med schools are now graduate-level four-year programs. Postgraduate medical education training for what we would call residents here at registrars is very different, and there are no guarantees for matching or placement. Also, another major difference is uh, categorization of medical providers. General practitioners, or GPs as they're called, are called doctors. Physicians are the medical specialists like cardiologists, rheumatologists, and such, and they go through a considerably longer training period. And classically, surgeons are addressed as Mr. So there were two pilot programs, in one in uh, South Australia and one in, in Queensland for PAs. Tell us about when those started and what the outcomes have been. As I mentioned before, the states do their own public health care here with that funding that trickles down from Medicare. And both South Australia and Queensland started PA pilot programs within the last year and a half. South Australia has just finished pretty much their one-year pilot. They had four PAs, and uh, they've invited all four of them to stay, so it went that well. They're looking at mostly an inpatient-based model there where all the PAs are working inside hospitals. So they're in a very different conceptual role in Queensland Health, which is much more interested in the application of PAs into the rural settings. Really what the pilots are about, the two pilots really are not evaluating whether PAs are safe or whether they can be trained to a level of practice that's adequate. The issue is whether the model would fit into Australian healthcare. And that's very tricky because right now the only people that can access Medicare, bill Medicare, or use the PBS prescription billing system are docs and physicians. So there are oh. A few nurse practitioners in Australia, only about three or 400, and they don't even have access yet. They've just been deemed responsibility for that, and they will actually not get it until next November 2010. Those are some of the things that are being addressed. How would PAs work for prescriptions? How would they bill for services? If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I'm speaking with Al Ford, physician assistant and senior lecturer at James Cook University School of Medicine, Queensland, Australia. And we're talking about physician assistants in Australia. So, Al, how many PAs are currently in Australia, and what are they doing? 
You know, uh, right now, Lisa, as far as I know, there are nine PAs involved in the pilot program or the two pilot programs. Actually, both states wanted to have about 10 PAs. And then uh, there are a few other PAs scattered around here, uh, around the whole country, that are actually not working as PAs. They're doing other stuff and sort of waiting patiently to see what happens. Well, there are two universities that are now offering a PA program, the University of Queensland and your setting, uh, James Cook University. Tell us about the education model at JCU. Sure. Actually, we uh, do not have a program up and running yet. On the other hand, the University of Queensland do have a program up. But here at JCU, we actually are part of the med school, and this is a regional and rural remote med school. So the specific goal of not just the med school, but the entire university is to train professionals for rural, remote, and tropical living, as well as indigenous. There's a big indigenous focus here. So who are the opponents of the PA concept? You know, right now, the two major opponents that have actually come out with public platforms opposing the idea are the Australian Medical Association, the AMA, and then the Student Medical Association. The AMA actually is wary very much like the American AMA was back in the 60s. They're really wanting to make sure that this is a good thing before they support it, but we're suspecting that at some point they'll come on board. The students are all up in arms because of some things that have happened to them over the past few years that is out of their control, and that's that the numbers of medical students have drastically increased over the past several years, predicted to keep increasing, and that's one of the things that the Commonwealth government did to address some of the healthcare shortages. But clinical training sites are very, very short, and that's bound to get worse so they're worried about other healthcare professionals that would need the same type of clinical medical training, and they think that we're going to be bumping heads. So they're right now they're officially opposed to us. The nurses here have not taken official stance, but certainly uh, within the community, you know, there's concern and there's misunderstanding. So uh, the PAs that are here are trying to help straighten that out. And what do you think uh, the future of the PA profession in Australia looks like? You know, I think it's very bright. I wouldn't have moved here if I didn't have a strong sense that I think it'll catch on someday. I think it may take longer than we expected. Once the PA pilot programs are over, certainly our hope is that they will actually hire some American PAs to come over and work here, uh, not just to get the profession started, but certainly our focus at the universities is to have those people as clinical teachers and mentors for our new PA students. So you've been a part of the development of this new profession in Australia. Are there any lessons from the USPA model that you're trying to apply in Australia? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Certainly a big one is to try to get off to a better start with uh, nursing, and in particular nurse practitioners who are sorely underutilized here, the few that do exist. And we're making a, you know, a concerted effort to make sure that they understand what we're about, that we're not competition, and that we're really on the same team. We're all here for patient care. The other thing is to learn from some of the uh, legislative things that have happened over time in the states and how that might be, you know, applied here where there are only six states and two territories, but they're very, very provincial. So things are done differently in the states. Each state has its own way of administering health care. But the Commonwealth government is right at the cusp right now of making some major changes to centralized services as well as funding. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that all pans out in the next year or so. 
and we're trying to position ourselves so that we can become part of those changes. So for PAs that are interested in coming to Australia, what are some of the difficulties they face with uh, transition culturally? Uh, you know, first of all, uh, I think the major problem would be the jobs have to be there. And for anybody that's interested, I would say keep an eye on websites and journals because if jobs do open up after the pilot programs, that's where they'll be advertised, just like the the actual pilots were themselves. Culturally, you know, uh, the, the whole country is very different. There are some brilliant cultural differences and things that I love about Australia. For instance, you know, as a people, they haven't forgotten that life is not just work. So that that's not a hard adjustment for most people. They really do value their time off here, and Aussies play as hard as they work. Again, it's a massively rural and uh, dispersed place, so living in some of those rural locations would probably be the biggest cultural barrier. And certainly um, the indigenous side of things, there are many, many indigenous families and tribes. So it's not a homogenous thing as it may appear from outside Australia. And I really didn't learn much about the detail of that until I moved here. But uh, that's very, very different. So just even getting a basic elementary handle on that is difficult. And are American PAs free to practice in Australia right now? You know, they're really not, Lisa. Unfortunately, uh, they're not allowed to practice as if they were American PAs, and that's frustrating to both them and their supervising docs. For instance, they can't uh, prescribe. They have to uh, actually run down and get a doc to sign a prescription or or call in a prescription, so uh, that's been a big problem. And the practice acts were fairly limited and actually over time opened up once the PAs were uh, accepted. Um, and that was actually legislated that way. In order for the, the state health departments to get this by the state legislatures, they had to be pretty conservative. There isn't really what you'd call free practice, and uh, the only PAs that are working clinically work for both of those state health departments in the pilot projects. So, Al, you went from Utah to Australia. So what's next for you there? Uh, you know, I think that I'm here for the long term, Lisa. My uh, my bosses, Ian Rotsky and Richard Murray, have uh, brought me over on a permanent residency scheme so I can stay as long as I want to. And I very much want to see this through. Uh, I want to see a PA program as well as the profession get up and running here at JCU. So I think I'm here for the long term. Uh, I'm 55 years old, and I really do see myself retiring from James Cook University. Well, we'll watch you and have a prawn on the Barbie. (laughs) Thank you, Al. Thanks for coming on the show. Sure. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at ReachMD.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And you can find us on Facebook, and you can follow us on Twitter. And thanks for listening. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Global Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at ReachMD.com and download ReachMD's new iPhone app, Medical Radio, to listen to the same live stream of ReachMD medical news and information you enjoy on XM160, plus CME and thousands of searchable podcasts. Download Medical Radio today.